Welcome to React Roundup. I'm your host, Jack Harrington, for the day. And with me are my esteemed colleagues, Paige Niederinghouse. Hello, everyone. And TJ Ventol. Hey, everybody. And with us today is our special guest, Simon Grimm. And Simon is talking about React Native and Capacitor. That's very exciting stuff. I don't do a lot of React Native stuff, so I'm very excited about this. So why don't you tell us a bit about, well, I think we all know what React Native is. I'm hoping we all know what React Native is at least. But what is Capacitor and how does it relate to React Native? Uh, So I'm Simon. um, And Capacitor in general does not relate to any specific framework. And most people Hmm. will actually assume that Capacitor belongs to Ionic. So if you have heard about Ionic before, which is mm, sure. yeah, yeah, like yeah. another toolkit for building mobile applications with web technologies, most people with actually... Web, right, with embedded frame, web frames, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And most people okay. assume that, oh yeah, Capacitor belongs to Ionic, so you can build your Ionic application. And, and that's pretty much where it stops, I guess. But you, you, you can... You, <laughs> no need to know more. Just, there it is. Yeah, but you can throw in Capacitor basically everywhere. Just the other week, I've been now working together with Ionic, I've built a vanilla JavaScript app with Capacitor and then deployed it to my iOS device and I had access to all the native device functionality. So that's that's the power of Capacitor. And you can Okay, well you skipped a part though where you tell us what Capacitor is. Yeah. So <laughs> from a, from a marketing perspective Capacitor is they say a cross-platform native runtime for web apps. But basically oh, wow. like easily speaking you you install Capacitor in any kind of web project. Like you take your React project, you install Capacitor and then you got to like a few commands from the CLI. And then you can add an iOS folder, an Android folder. And those are going to be like native projects, like Android Studio project or an Xcode project. And basically what Capacitor does, the magic is it's building your web application, like your React application. And then it's displaying that in the native application in a web view, pretty much. So whenever you update your code, you just run an update command. It syncs your web files to the native files, iOS and Android, and then it deploys this and shows this in an uh, application. So that's, in a nutshell, Capacitor. Nice. So, but it's still running in a web frame inside of those iOS and Android applications. Okay. Yeah. Now I get it. Yeah, I was, was going to ask, is this kind of like making your Android version and your iOS version so that you could deploy these to the App Store and have them native apps for an application? Yes, 100%. So it just shows, like, it uses the native web view control on iOS. That's the WK web view, I think, at the moment. Uh, On Android, it's another web view component. And it's not like you see a browser in your application. Like, this is no no URL bar, nothing. It's just full screen, your application running uh, as a native application. And because it's an Android Studio project or an Xcode project, from that point on, you can basically use the native tooling like you were an iOS or an Android developer. So with the next code, you can directly deploy to a simulator or your connected device. You can build an APK in Android Studio and put this to a device. And of course, yeah, you can just submit it to the App Store at that point. But because like I know the app, the Apple is not so happy about, at least they weren't happy about those kind of apps. Uh, people who get this wrong usually. Yeah, there was some bad okay. press about uh, web view applications. But yeah. yeah. Most people stop listening. Oh, yeah, but WebView is bad. We're not doing it anymore. By the way, that's pretty much what the whole internet thinks since I think Mark Zuckerberg said that betting on the web was the worst thing they ever did at Facebook. I think at that point, everyone thought like, okay, yeah, we're not doing cross-platform applications anymore. This is bad. But people forget that 
99% of you are not Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> like, <I'm>, like <laughs> just, yeah. just build your apps. The user doesn't care about how you've built the app. Okay. Yeah, so I know Apple, what they specifically, like even from like a legal perspective, did not want people to do is they didn't want people to just create a lightweight wrapper of their website and then just throw it in the app store. Yeah. And they, the, so their terminology was they were explicitly trying to stop people from doing that. Their thought was your app should do something that warrants it being in the app store, which I think is totally reasonable, <laughs> right? If, it, I mean, if you are just wrapping your website, I, you really should be questioning what you're doing because it's probably <laughs> just, just wasting your time. Usually if you're building an app, you should have some reason to do something above and beyond that. And that's where tools like, well, like React Native, like Capacitor, and such allow you to do is you can reuse some of the stuff you're doing on the web. Obviously, if you need to list something about your uh, your project or your whatever, you can do it in both places. But presumably, the reason you're building an app is you want something. I, you know, maybe it's you want to be able to use Face ID for authentication to make users' lives easier there. Or mm -hmm. maybe it's you need to do some something with a camera that you can't do on the web. But hey, you can do that in native and projects like capacitor allow you to sort of mix and match or at least that's that's how it was when i was sort of involved in this world in the past yeah exactly so so far i just said you could wrap your native app with capacitor and build build it for ios or android but the cool thing is that capacitor has some plugins like camera geolocation file system that you can then use in your app and that will use the underlying platform sdk on android and ios so basically like cordova did in the past um, so Capacitor is kind of a, like an evolution to Cordova um, because the Ionic company saw a lot of problems with Cordova in the past and then they just created Capacitor. By the way, coming back to this, the regulation from Apple, there were actually two specific things they didn't want to have. So they didn't want to have these like 100 apps that all look like Joey's Pizza from your next doorstop. <laughs> like everyone was just putting up a different primary and secondary color and all the apps looked the same. So they were running those applications. And also at the same time, they don't want you to load your whole HTML from a remote server. Because in that case, mm, Apple can't yeah. check your stuff. Like you can do, mm -hmm. they are very strict with checking and submissions. But if you just do it like that and just submit a shell, you can do pretty much everything you want in that app. So that's definitely also uh, something they wanted to prevent. I don't yeah, know why you're harshing I mean, on Joey's Pizza, by the way. <laughs> I, I think we have a Joey's yeah. Pizza in Germany as well, but it's not the same as you have. <laughs> mm. German pizza, I don't know. <laughs> so, Simon, let's go back a little bit. You said that you have built a, a vanilla JavaScript application that is using... Uh, the plugin. So what what kind of an application did you build and wrap with Capacitor? So this was more like a, like a demo and it was actually kind of painful. So at that point, I, I understood why we have JavaScript frameworks. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Like if yeah. you want to display a list and render items and attach oh, click listeners and then yeah. you want to update that oh, list. Oh, no. Document.create <laughs> element, I think. Oh, God. But I made, yeah. made this specifically to show that Capacitor does not belong to anything. You can just drop this into anything. You can drop this into a view project. You can drop this into a jQuery project or anything. Uh, and then just use your preferred UI with Capacitor. So within that vanilla JavaScript project, I just executed the camera, snapped some pictures, saved them with a file system uh, plugin, and then uh, displayed a list. So nothing really fancy in that application. Nice. But I mean, that's that's a great example of how 
flexible it can be, which is really what most web developers are looking for at the end of the day. I mean, I love my React specific stuff or, you know, if you're building a Svelte project or whatever, but if there is a simple way to just bring in a package and it just, and it works, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And for whatever reason, the most of the React community doesn't seem to know or to care about Capacit. I don't know. I mean, React Native is great. No, no problem about it. But have you tried Capacit? <laughs> well, maybe we can dive into that a little bit more. Because I think like if today, if you are a React developer and you think like, oh, I need a native app, right? My business people came to me or whatever, right? I, I decided I'm going to iOS or Android. So help our listeners understand what are situations where they should lean towards React Native and what are some situations where they should lean towards Capacitor? And then I guess uh, to take the full end, what are some situations where they should go like full native, right? Like this should be something farmed out to like an actual iOS and Android dev team. Because I think that's probably the most realistic situations for uh, our listeners of the show. So maybe you could just lay out the thought process, what you have sort of going on in your head. Yeah, sure. So last year I tried to understand the differences between the most common approaches, which I think are React Native, Flutter, and Capacitor. So I think we have to mention Flutter in terms of cross-platform apps yeah. as well, because it's just super popular at the same time. Mm -hmm. Now, what I found is that with Capacitor, what you can very, very fast and easily do is your team already has a React website. You have a lot of React code in your company, and you just need an app for that. Just install Capacitor and give it a try. You're going to see that like in half an hour, maybe an hour, you're going to have your UI inside a native application. And actually, that is sometimes enough. Now, I think for most in internal enterprise applications, this would be the perfect way to go. Because here's the thing, if you're using React Native, you, you're actually not really using React Web. Like there's not the DOM you used to have with React Web. So if you write a React Native application, you, yeah, you might use some hooks and some, some logic you've developed with React. But this is not like complete code sharing. But within a Capacitor project, you could actually really achieve that dream of write, write once, deploy everywhere. Because there's, there's really nothing fancy. And with Capacitor, actually, I, uh, I mentioned the plugins before. So all these plugins usually have an iOS and an Android uh, implementation. But most of them actually also have a web implementation, which means... You can just keep running your React live reload or whatever you got to open and develop in the browser. And those APIs will actually still work. Like they have a little fallback to use the camera or to use the file mm. system. And you just can continue working with that. Now, when should you not use Capacitor? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think first, first of all, if we're talking about game development or anything that's really close to the metal where you really need those native SDKs, I think none of the approaches really works. Like, you can't do this very well with React Native. Maybe like maybe you can do it. Maybe you can do it with Flutter. But actually, I think in that space, uh, Unity is also very popular in especially mm -hmm. game development. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so those cases, I would go that route. If you now say, well, all these uh, web apps, they have this webbish look, Yeah, okay, I can understand this. If you develop a React website and then just put it into a small container, like maybe your application is made for mobile and it is a bit responsive, but usually it won't really look like a native application. So if you need a better UI for native that's looking fancy, that's looking more native, 
I think in that case, I would go for uh, React Native. I, I just felt also, I'm, I've been developing pretty much the same application with Capacitor, React Native, and Flutter. And I mean, the Capacitor application worked great. Um, there are a lot of applications on the store that might use Capacitor, and you might not even notice it. So it really depends on your target audience. But if they expect like a lot of fancy things and uh, cool native transitions, you are probably better off with something like React Native. So it's really like a spectrum, and you need to think about what is my target user? I always, I always said when people say, yeah, Capacitor, this is, these are not native apps. I say, does your grandma care about how your application was built? <laughs> like, yeah. No. Yeah, his does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I always think, too, it, it comes back to me, like, if you think about the famous Mark Zuckerberg quote when he said, like, well, HTML5 was a bad bet for us, you have to realize in that case, Facebook had like the biggest engineering budget almost in the world, yeah. right? So like it was a bad bet for them only because they could afford to, to yeah. put an army of enge- talented iOS and Android engineers to like fine tune the greatest experience there is mm-hmm. because they're operating at an enormous scale. Uh, chances are you listening to this aren't operating at that scale, right? You probably don't have the budget to pay armies of iOS and Android engineers to like really polish a smooth experience. And libraries like Capacitor absolutely let you just get up and running way faster. And hey, if you decide for whatever reason this isn't good enough, uh, you know, for whatever, it's not like you've totally invested a ton either. Because Capacitor, I totally agree, super easy to get up and running. Uh, so you can just sort of see what you're working with. It's a really low investment. It's skill sets you already know. And then you can mm-hmm. take that as a starting point and go from there. Yeah, that, that's what we actually haven't even touched, like the whole idea of cross-platform and just writing the code with web technologies. So uh, we talked about we, we, in which case you can use React Native or in which case you should just use Capacitor. But if you have a team of just web developers, they already know this stuff. Like they can do this. They don't need to learn anything iOS or Android related. They can just get started. But of course, yeah, if, you, if you're Facebook, if you got like 50 iOS developers just waiting to create <laughs> an app, yeah, of course, I, I would make all my apps native. It's always the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's interesting. I think when you can think about like like Flutter versus um, Capacitor versus... Dart. Well, yeah, there you <laughs> go. Versus um, React Native. It, I think the Capacitor to React Native might be safer. Because if you think about it, like, okay, so capacitor is going, we're going good, but we're like, yeah, we need some some native feeling stuff, right? You could potentially pull, as you say, the logic out of your React uh, capacitor code, put it into another library, like maybe the API handlers or the form validation stuff or whatever, right? And then you can like, reuse that in a React Native context. Whereas if you go with like a Flutter, you know, you're kind of stuck in the Flutter ecosystem until you... It- don't want to use that anymore. <laughs> Simon, you should quickly just define what Flutter is for people. I, oh, yeah. I, I'm also curious if Flutter is still Dart only because it was the last time I looked at it years ago. Yeah, I've, I've definitely used it with Dart. So Flutter is Google's answer to the whole cross-platform uh, fun uh, where you need to write cross-platform applications with Google's own language Dart, which isn't actually too bad. Like uh, yeah, It's nice. It's, it's a nice it's upgrade. Nice. Like if you've developed for five or 10 years with some languages, like it's not too hard to get into anything unless it's like Haskell or some some crazy <laughs> stuff. <laughs> God. 
<laughs> but in terms of popularity, you, you can just check out the latest, uh, what was this, the JavaScript developer survey. Um, usually Flutter and React Native are pretty much at the same satisfaction level. Um, so it is actually very popular. Um, the, in terms of the community, I don't know. I've, I've found uh, a lot more content around React, of course, and React Native. Yeah. Um, but Flutter is definitely going strong um, in terms of numbers. And I think they're just working on a new Dart version as well that will come out this year. They just released a new Flutter version. The cool thing about Flutter is it looks really good. I don't know if you've seen applications from Flutter. Like Google is very good at that marketing thing. Uh, they definitely got this figured out. You go to the Flutter documentation and they got specific guides. Coming to Flutter from React Native, coming to Flutter from this, coming to yeah. Flutter from that. They exactly know nice. what they're doing. And I think Capacitor might invest a bit more into marketing over the next time. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's you. It's not me. It's not me. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Just for clarification, I, I'm, I'm not part of the Ionic company or Capacitor. I'm just a, a content creator and using Capacitor oh, okay. and enjoying it. So I'm not there affiliated with right. them. And just so, for a point of clarification, Flutter is very much like, oh, Dart is very much like JavaScript or TypeScript, just kind of cleaned up a little bit. Like there's some little rough edges that we had before. There you go. But it compiles into JavaScript and TypeScript in that context. Like if you use it for the web, it's going to compile into JavaScript. If you, if you use know. Dart for the web? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's going to be painful. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I, okay, well, oh, it, it works. I believe it actually, I, technically speaking. I, I don't works. know if it works, to be honest with you. I don't. <laughs> it, 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 does, it, it does work, yeah. The problem okay. is the output of your Dart Flutter application for the web, at least the last time I checked, is just a huge canvas where they render every pixel of your application with their Sky rendering engine. Uh, which is probably not the best thing for accessibility. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, that's not really um, screener either. They look like. good, like for marketing pages, you could probably do this, but I don't know if you want to do this. But everyone's going into that route, like React Native uh, Expo is also trying to get better at developing a React Native app and then deploying it to the web, which is kind of interesting. Like everyone's working, we're going back to the server with JavaScript, like everything's just going in circles, I feel. <laughs> Should just go back to PHP. So Time is a flat I, circle, really. I want I want to push you on Flutter a little bit more because if you haven't been able to tell, I'm not a fan of Flutter. <laughs> I I uh, I do agree. Like the output of Flutter is like kind of nice, and it's because they have their own rendering engine, right? So they're they're not restricted by the DOM on the web. They're not restricted by Android or iOS's layout system because they just forego it. They've got they're like doing their painting their own pretty picture. But because of that, like I found the constructs for building up a UI like awful. Like it's so for anybody who hasn't tried it before, like, you know, there's you're giving up JSX, right? You're in Dart. So you're constructing this like incredibly verbose thing of widgets where like there's no CSS. So you're like all your style things are just like inlined and stuff, which to me, the, and this was like three or four years ago. So that's why I'm curious your take on this. But it was just like my my like UI tree just became a hot mess of garbage. And like, yes, I could print out something pretty, but I thought like this is like a ma unmaintainable nightmare. So yeah, as far I'm curious what you think, like an updated take on that. Yeah, as far as I know, you need to be really careful and structure this into like subcomponents and extract in widgets. That's what they call this with Flutter. It's not mm. components, it's widgets. Okay. So everything is a widget in Flutter. Even your text element is a widget. 
um, and you should like split up everything into their custom widgets. I know exactly what you mean. Like your DOM is getting unbelievable long. And when, when I used Flutter for a week just to test it, I felt in comparison to like HTML and CSS, I feel like an artist. But with Flutter and Dart, I felt like a robot. Like you're just bumping <laughs> out those lines of widgets and putting everything into it. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely how I felt. And um, yeah, I think everyone just should try it out at least because I think some yeah, people will I, prefer this. And I think this is actually also how Swift UI is, is becoming these days. It's pretty much the same approach, isn't it? It, yeah, it's similar. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think part of my bias here is that uh, we're coming from a web developer perspective. So like, I think a new uh, somebody new would look at the DOM and HTML and CSS and go like, what in the hell? Like, who came up with these ideas, right? It, there's a lot of really strange things going on there, too. But like, if you have a React background, you kind of know the warts of the the web and web technologies. Whereas like with Flutter, it's like, you're giving a whole new realm of things uh, where you don't know the best practices. You don't know these these uh, things for structuring. And I think that's one reason to like, at least to me, to to lean towards a capacitor to a React Native. Um, but I, I totally agree with your point. Like, I think everybody should try Flutter. Just take a few days. If, if nothing else, it's like, it's fascinating to see how they approach the problem. Yeah, exactly. And as you said before, the output looks really good. Um, so I guess that's what attracts most people. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, people always say like, oh, Flutter apps, they look so native. While this is actually totally not native what they're doing. You, you described it with their custom rendering engine. It, it's completely not native. Like, um, I don't know. This is like magic. But it's like, that's what Unity does too, right? Like, so, I mean, oh, yeah. Unity games feel people use it because it's high performance. Well, they're not using under like their whole thing is they're abstracting away the platform, right? They're just this, most games. If you run a game, you're not getting native buttons anywhere. No, yeah. it's just some like some magic byte code that's that's running under the hood that's making that possible. So it's it's kind of it, it's just I find the whole thing kind of fascinating. This is by the way one thing uh, people kind of hate about Flutter, and there was a video from uh, which is this opinionated creator Theo Theo Ping or something <laughs> where he was really I don't know. Yes, oh, you got you got opinions about him. Oh, that's interesting. No, 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 no. <laughs> Theo's a friend of mine. But okay, go on. Okay, yeah, oh. yeah. He, he, he was roasting Flutter, um, but his whole <laughs> argument was pretty much made up because Flutter does not have this uh, hot code push which means in, uh, for example, Capacitor or I think also React Native applications, you can submit your app to the App Store, your app is on a phone. And usually if you want to update your native apps, you need to submit mm -hmm. a new app, mm -hmm. go to the submission. It takes a day and then your app is released. But in a lot of cases today, you can use hot code replacement. So it exchanges the JavaScript and HTML bundle of your application with a service. Um, and that is not possible with Flutter. So for Flutter applications, you definitely always need to go to the store and submit an application to fix a critical bug. Um, and Theo's whole argument was basically that you can't use Flutter because they don't have it. And I think that's yeah, uh, overlooking a few things. Like some companies just want a good-looking React, uh, a good-looking cross-platform application. They, I've worked with companies which don't care about code push. So uh, you can't just say Flutter is bad because it doesn't have one specific thing. That's all. I, all I got to say about the. It is a big concern, though. I would say it's, it's a fairly big concern. I mean, I remember when I worked at Walmart Labs and we had critical patches. Like, there's there are tickets basically that you have with with Apple where you can say, "Okay, it's really bad. I need it. I need this reviewed right now and out." And but you only get like three of those a year, depending on who you are. And so it's a big deal. 
And and I actually am kind of surprised that Apple allows hot code or the you know, code push like that because of it, the auditing that they want to do <clears throat> on the app. Yeah, I, I'm also not sure, but it, it works. And it, it's legally definitely allowed to some degree. Uh, I've seen it work. Uh, I don't know exactly what their guideline is, but hey, Apple is also allowing uh, web push notifications. So they're moving in the mm. right direction. Yeah, that's yeah. true. It's, <laughs> that's true. They, it falls into the same guideline you mentioned earlier. And I've, I've got some of this background because like when I worked at Progress and we, we made native script, like we had a legal team and they they obviously cared about this stuff a whole lot because if we're pushing out a feature that everybody would get rejected and essentially the the Apple policy, it fell under what you said earlier that you just can't fundamentally change the purpose of the app. So they're, hmm. they're cool with, uh, oh, Jack made a mistake in whatever JavaScript file and he needs to update it to like parse the string so the app doesn't crash or something like that. They're, they're, they're cool with that. Tell but like if, if Jack changes the Walmart web uh, site to be a gambling site, because <laughs> would push, then Jack's going to get a phone call from, from somebody at Apple because they're, they're really not cool, cool with that. But Jack, All right, so <laughs> let me ask a question. You said, um, you know, this that other options are things like Cordova and things like Expo and stuff like that. So let's say that you you had a Cordova app already. Is it possible to change to decide that you want to use Capacitor instead and kind of re rework it? Is that something that you can do, or do you really kind of have to start from the beginning again and rebuild it? I mean, Cordova sits pretty much at the same spot like uh, like capacitor between your web code and the native code. So mm-hmm. yes, in general, you can replace it. You can actually, so there's also a reason what I tell people who were using Cordova and loved it, you can actually use Cordova plugins with capacitor. So they made this backwards comfortable. So you, um, it works pretty good in most cases, only if they're like, Cordova plugins, which execute some magic hooks or something, because that doesn't work with Capacitor very well. They have a bit different philosophy on that. But that means you can, like, there's no reason today to use Cordova. Uh, this was also, in, I think, in the uh, coming out from the survey about JavaScript that people don't want to use Cordova anymore. Like the plugins and the community, uh, you just see these outdated plugins last commit four years ago, and you already know that <laughs> you're up for trouble on that day if you're using a plugin like that. So, uh, but in general, you would have added Cordova to an Angular project or can you do it with React actually? I've never seen somebody use a, have you, have you used React and Cordova together? I think you can, right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but it's yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. But yeah, in that, oh, <laughs> you know. it's, it's webbish. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in those cases, yeah, you, you can actually do this uh, fairly easy, given the fact that you can use most Cordova plugins with Capacitor. So yeah, you just need to change this. In short, Cordova did something. They had a config file in your project. And in that mm-hmm. config was like all the plugins, all the settings, all the specific hooks you want to execute. And then you run a build command and it regenerates your iOS and Android project based on that config. However, if any of you have used Cordova, you know that this is going to be really painful if there are problems uh, because there's a lot of magic involved in that process. And Capacitor put away this config file. They just want to generate your native project and then you can 
work in those native projects. They're not regenerated by some kind of magic and they're not overwriting some settings. So you can really go into Xcode and put in app icons or splash screens or put in that you want to use a specific version of Swift or something and those settings won't be changed. So that is the big philosophy shift from Cordova to Capacitor. Okay, so I've, I've done React Native in my time. And I got to tell you, going from like, if I let a React Native project sit on the shelf for six months, then upgrading React Native, I mean, it, 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 bit, it bit rots faster than roadside strawberries. I mean, it's so bad. Like, <laughs> you have to re- basically rebuild the entire application if you let it go for too long. So how is Capacitor in terms of rev to rev to rev? Is it pretty stable? Because um, that was a serious like serious drawback. I mean, the good thing is the API of Capacitor is pretty pretty slim. There's not a lot to it. Like, we, we got the plugins, mm-hmm. um, but the core of Capacitor, like, there's not a lot to it that you can actually use from it. So they're now at version, what is Capacitor? Three, four-ish? I think four. I think we're at Capacitor four. Um, and there was, yeah, there were major changes in the last versions, but that was just like uh, the big Angular change uh, eight years ago. I think they're now at a pretty stable point. They put away all the plugins. They are not in the core bundle anymore. They're all their own plugins. So I think actually you're pretty safe with that. You're going to have more problems updating your React version, I guess. Mm, okay. Yeah, or uh, your iOS and Android versions, because lots of times, the one, like once you go native, and that applies regardless of the choices we're talking about here today, like you've got a new set of problems just because... Uh, at the end of the day, you're building an iOS and an Android app. And no matter whether you choose uh, Capacitor, React Native, True Native, something on there's Xcode is going to be there under the hood. Android Studio is going to be there. And uh, they update those processes. So actually, uh, I'll turn that into a question to you, Simon, because I've been out of this world for a few years. What sort of advice do you have to people? I'd say it looks like web developers, right, that are stepping into this space. Do you have like, Anything you've learned, any tips you have for like the way your your brain has to work different once you start building native apps? Well, you certainly have to follow a different source of news. Like you, you can't just listen to the web news anymore. Uh, you, you really yeah. need to tune into a few channels. Like this can just be a few major channels, but if there's an Android change that you can't build with a specific SDK version anymore you will just be lost. Like you you build your project, you submit it and you get random errors and you, you're totally lost. So you kind of need to stay on top of the news for iOS and Android. Like if iOS says, oh, this web view is now deprecated, you can't use it anymore and you're still using it. So you definitely need to listen to other news as well. It's definitely getting harder. Um, and I would always try to stay somewhat up to date. I've seen applications where they skipped all the news for years and then they had to update like six major versions and do a lot of things to their code. And it is usually not a great idea. So if it's possible for you, it's usually less effort if you just follow the major versions and then take a week. Maybe it's not even a week. Like it depends on your code base. Just try to stay somewhat up to date. Uh, It will definitely be very helpful for you in the future. I remember things like I was still involved with the native script project when I the iPhone first came out with a notch. Oh yeah. And just like it's just like little things like that, right? Cuz you think like on the web world those those aren't situations you have to deal with, but in native apps it's like, oh, well when they did the notch, there were new APIs for making sure your layout like went around the notch 
correctly. <laughs> and so we had to like scramble because we were like, okay, we have to tell people because there we have customers and users that are out there. Like, how are you going to deal with the notch, right? How are you going to rebuild and get a new version out so that your your most expensive users that are rushing out to buy the iPhone uh, <laughs> 10 or whatever, whatever it was, don't have a weird looking app, right? So it's, it's just like little stupid mm. stuff like that, that like, Lots of times these are trivial. Like you said, I, I, I tend to agree that like this, these usually aren't huge time investments. But if you're not up in that world, if you're just letting your project six, sit for six months, you are going to miss things like that. And you definitely need a feeling for native applications in, in case you target like end users and not just building an internal enterprise tool. Because you need to know how it feels, how the scrolling feels on some pages. Um, how people handle the status bar on different devices with different colors. Like these are specific things. And then the whole build process, of course, of submitting application, which is uh, usually pretty scary to, to people. I, but I actually don't know why. Like the first time, yeah, but it has gotten a lot easier with Xcode. Like Xcode pretty much takes care of everything today. Um, and especially, by the way, if you're using React Native and Expo, like I've been just building an application over the last days and uh, using Expo and the Expo uh, application services, it's just too easy to submit my application. Like, I feel even bad about this. <laughs> That's good to hear. It didn't used to be uh, so easy. I remember complaining about that all the time. So I... They've automated a lot of it out, so you just basically do most of the submission from Xcode? Yeah, well, with Xcode, exactly. You can even generate, like, your provisioning profiles. You can generate an entry in App Store Connect and all these things. You can just do this with a wizard in Xcode uh, today. And it usually also manages all your provisioning profiles. I, I never went into my developer oh, profile. <laughs> yeah, it brings up oh. bad memories. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. It's usually no. managing that. And Expo, by the way, no. with, enter, uh, with the application enterprise services, um, it's also super easy. Like, they ask you everything on the command line. Like, do you want to log in? Yes. Do, should we generate a profile? Yes. <laughs> yeah, take my key. Take everything. Just just upload the damn app. Make, make it happen. Yeah. I'm, glad to, happen. I'm glad to hear that because that, um, that, that, that was awful. And it was... I, it, Android has similar processes, but they, it was always easier on Android. Like, Android always felt like a walk in the park after you went through the pain that was iOS. Which is, by the way, funny. In the past, it took like a week to submit your iOS application. And the last time I submitted one, it was actually live after one day. And the Android review wow. took a few days. So, hmm. oh. yeah, things are changing. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So, Simon, going back a little bit to talk about, you know, staying up to date, do you have any recommendations for how you stay up to date with the changes that are happening? Like, are there specific newsletters that you're a big fan of? Or, you know, like, how do you keep up with the news and the changes? Yeah, so I would definitely recommend everyone to subscribe to my newsletter, which goes out every week. <laughs> Um, but of course, I'm following these companies. Like I'm been following the Ionic framework very closely, which is the parent company of Capacitor. Um, I've been definitely following the React Weekly newsletter since quite some time from uh, Sebastian. I think he's from yeah, France, Sebastian. right? Isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's a good one. He is indeed. Um, so that's definitely great to stay up to date with everything regarding React, and he also covers React Native. Mm -hmm. um, besides that, I'm just following the usual stuff like JavaScript Weekly, and uh, I think that's the major one. And of course, the Syntax Podcast uh, for everything else. 
I must be the only person that doesn't listen to Cinemax. <laughs> I, sh- I guess I should. <laughs> it's pretty good. Wes and Scott are a good a good team. Well, Fl- Paige, we know that when we do Friends of Flutter, we're not inviting either of these guys, though. Like, they're not showing up on that podcast. TJ's going to end up being the anti-Flutter Enemies guy. Enemies of Flutter. Exactly. Enemies of Flutter. He's going to be downcast everything. There you go. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. It's just not for me. It's, <laughs> it's just fine. No, but rendering on a canvas, that's... that's I mean, it, I mean, no, once again, it comes on, down to man. like your, your really? grandma won't care about if it's Flutter or React Native. So if you can, if you have developers who, for whatever reason, learn Dart for six years, uh, then go ahead and build Flutter applications. I guess they're f- super fast with Dart and Flutter, and they can ship something awesome. Yeah, if you just want like a really slick animation for like something like an ad to get people to do something, like I mean, there's there's worse ways of doing it. Definitely. What are what I don't understand is that people always seem to discount the fact that, like, you, with React Native, you could very easily just create another component that's Android and another, you know, that's, that's React, and then just bring those in and have those be native. And so if you want to do, like, the hyper-slick animation at one point or another, you can just bring in a component just to do that, right? And, you know, so you're not, like, it's not an either-or sort of thing. It's It's... You know, you still have access to the native APIs if you want to work that hard to get there. But by the way, if we talk about that, Flutter is really bad about doing an adaptive UI, right? You can just do the material theme or you can use the cappuccino theme. But if you want to do if else, like your application already looks horrible with a widget tree. If you do an if else in all the places to build adaptive components, it's getting even worse. So uh, I think... Yeah, that's actually... I was going to say that about Flutter. It's like, I know my my product manager and I know my designer, you know, the ones that I work with. And if I were to like be, you know, we just can't do that in Flutter. Just, you know, you want that to be mocha red or whatever. And it's like that. Nope. No, we don't have control over that sort of thing. That's just part of the frameworks. As I guess they're going to be like, huh? No. Whereas and I felt that way with, with Flutter. I didn't feel that way with HTML. It's like, Whatever they asked me to do, no matter how, whatever, you know, I could, I could eventually, I could, if I, if I pushed hard enough, get it to do whatever I was going to do, you know, customize the CSS or whatever, you know, there's always ways around it, always escape hatches. Well, that actually brings up a question I had for you too, in Capacitor, because you do have access beyond the plugins as well, right? So like, let's say I'm a company and I mostly need just web technologies, but there's this one iOS API that's like mission critical to my app. Is there a way in Capacitor that I could write like either like a custom plugin or some way of accessing that like one native API so I could bring it into my app, but build the rest with totally web tech? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, you can build your own Capacitor plugins, just like they built camera file system, geolocation plugin There are already... Um, well, I wouldn't say a ton of community plugins. There are quite some community plugins, but Capacitor has been popular since, I don't know, maybe for two years, three years now. So the community is very small. Like if you compare the numbers of Cordova plugins to Capacitor plugins, you're going to see a huge gap between them. But um, you can definitely build your own Capacitor plugins. I did this before in a tutorial and it's actually quite easy. (laughs) And honestly, using ChatGPT, it's becoming even easier. Like you can just go to ChatGPT <laughs> and say, write me a Capacitor plugin that uses the Stripe API on iOS. It will do this just perfectly for you without any experience. Wow. 
Yeah, I've been on, a, on a, yeah. I've been following uh, what I call, and I want to make a video about this. I will call this AI-driven app development, like not test-driven mm. development, but AI-driven. Like I use Midjourney too for the UI, and then ChatGPT for everything else, <laughs> and bouncing between them. What this is going to do is it's, people are going to read that and then they're going to end up in my Discord channel on my Discord server asking me, like, how does this code work? And I'm like, y- did you write this code? And they're going to be like, okay, goodbye. <laughs> you know, and like zoom off it, to some other way to get support it, because that's the thing. You have to know how this stuff works if you put it into production. It, I get it. It's cool. But is, uh, do you find that you have you, having used it for a while, have you worked on like, refining the like how you prompt chat chat gpt like because i've like when i've used it before it's helped me out but only in like isolated scenarios right like i need i have like a specific problem and it helps me out there but if i had asked broader questions i get something just just like really vague and not really actionable so i'd just be curious since it sounds like you played with this, like what tips you yeah, have for like, yeah. for me specifically, like how can it, how can you make my life easier? Exactly. I'm trying to yeah. get more into this and it's really looking like prompt engineering is a new job or a new job field. Like you're going to find so much about this. Um, and what I yeah. found is definitely that you need to give ChatGPT some kind of context, like, um, you're an expert programmer with React and we are writing a cool application for kids. Um, let's do this. And really, it, it sounds stupid, but I've been doing it like that and it kind of worked. Um, it's not working great for very specific things. But for example, when I started this app, I said, okay, here we go. Um, I need a initial screen. It has an image at the top. Then it has a headline, some text and a button at the bottom. And just prints me out the text with all the CSS. Like, I can do this myself, of course, but it's yeah. taking, like, maybe 10 minutes. Like, I've saved those 10 minutes. And you do this a few times per day, you're going to save a few hours. Um, but you know how to write that. And mm-hmm. you know how to maintain that. Yeah. And if it if it doesn't work, then you know how to debug that. That That's what's happening is, like... Well, <laughs> no, but... You know, you know, the basics of debugging are really yeah, yeah. clearly over uh, underrated skill nowadays. I but think though, like, I, I, think, I, I almost okay. view it like, uh, I, like the co-pilot assistant type thing. Like, I think as long as you have a general idea, sometimes you can get by with, like, sure, if you have absolutely no clue what you're doing. Like, I couldn't give this to my kids, and they're not going to build a successful web app with it. But I could totally see how a tool like this can like help me expand what I'm capable of. Oh yeah, or the, like how fast I can I can do things though for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, Copilot has been interesting. It, it works in some cases. For example, you, you have a variable you want to map about it, and you just start map, and it already puts in like the diff with a title and the name. And yeah, oh yeah, they, give me yeah. that code. Yeah, that yeah, looks yeah, good. exactly. Yeah, oh, I <laughs> use that every every day. Yeah. I use that. But yes. I try to use it for example with the web framework Astro, which is pretty new, and so it's not really included yeah. in the data set. Of, of you just get right. the wrong answers like yeah. all the APIs are deprecated and um, but I want to make a self-experiment out of this so I'm taking my React Native application I don't know sometime next week on a stream and I will ask ChatGPT to transform this into a Swift Native application I haven't done Swift for eight years so I don't know a lot about it anymore uh, and I'm curious yeah. to see if this works like I know programming and I'm curious if I can get ChatGPT to help me write a native Swift application okay yeah, interesting to see. Oh, I, we will pay attention to your comment, which we will link to <laughs> in the show notes. Uh, are there any questions that we should have asked you but didn't as we transition into our picks for the week? Uh, 
Um, I just want to mention one last thing. So we talked a lot about Capacitor. I just want to say that if you also want a great looking native UI, I would certainly recommend you also check out Ionic. Uh, once again, mm. I'm not part of the Ionic company, but uh, their toolkit to building mobile applications is actually how I got started seven, eight years ago. So for the last seven years, I've been building Ionic Angular applications and um, they have a great adaptive UI and uh, just taking your React code and building a native application usually doesn't look very well unless you know what you're doing or you just want something custom. But if you want cool adaptive controls and stuff, um, certainly also check out Ionic, which is a great combination with uh, Capacitor. You should awesome. give us to uh, you. You mentioned be streaming this. What are what are some great places like if people want to check out that stream? Where do they go? You should you should give us your shameless plugs here. <laughs> My shameless plug. Yeah, you should also check me out on YouTube uh, at Galaxy's Dev. Uh, you can also find this as my new platform, which I released about a month ago, two months ago. Yeah, Galaxy's Dev, uh, nice. which is a awesome. online... that's a sweet domain name. It really is. Yeah, Good it took Lord. quite some time. <laughs> yeah, we we made this into <laughs> like a Star well, not Star Wars, but Galaxy theme. No, no, don't. We, we don't say Star Wars. No? I mean, we don't want Disney on our... No, no, no. Disney, Disney lawyers will be all up in our grill. <laughs> I mean, don't do anything like that. I, I, it's uh, uh, some light sword dueling thing. <laughs> uh, well, I won't show anything about Star Wars. Um, uh, so uh, You can check me out. Galaxies. Good thing we're on video now. <laughs> Galaxies.dev and uh, on YouTube, which uh, has handles now, it's also Galaxies underscore dev. You're going to find usually weekly live streams on Thursday. Um, and if you want to support me, check out Galaxy Stuff. And of course, if you're really interested in Ionic, uh, I run the Ionic Academy, which is uh, also an online school to help everyone with Ionic. Uh, all the questions, uh, we got like 60 video courses at this point. I've been running this Woo. for, yeah, it's like to, pretty much today, wow. six years, I think, that I started the Academy. So uh, nice anniversary That's here. Awesome. Oh, wow, Simon. Nice. Okay. Congrats. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me do a hard transition then into picks so you can... Now, this has been super fun, I gotta say. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's do picks. How about TJ? You want to start us off with a pick? Sure. My pick is a pick update from last mm. week. So last week, my pick was this book for those of you watching on YouTube. Stephen King, November. I'll try to hold it straight. November uh, 1963. Uh, it's like a 10-year-old Stephen King book. I finished it off finally. My my final review to anybody who's I'm, I'm sure everybody listening has just been absolutely on the edge of the on the edge of their seats. But it's good. But he could seriously have used an editor because you can see this thing is like oh, thick. Yeah. And there's times where you wanted him to like kind of get moving a little bit. But <laughs> I like the way it wrapped up. Uh, with Stephen King, you kind of know what you're getting, right? It's it's like a classic Stephen King book, and I think it's like a you either like him or hate him. So I usually like his stuff. So. I enjoyed it. So that'll be my pick again for this week. Awesome. Paige? Cool. Uh, my pick this week is going to be a an everyday sunscreen, because if you know me at all, you can see that I'm fair, that I have red hair. And if I pretty much look at the sun, I start to get a sunburn. So it's really a necessity for me. Um, so the one that I'm going to pick is called Unseen Sunscreen by Super, Super Goop. Um, it's a little bit more expensive than you know, what you might typically pick up at the grocery store or at Walgreens or something like that, but it is non-greasy. Uh, it doesn't leave you looking shiny. It doesn't give you a white cast that you might get with some of the uh, mineral-based sunscreens. So if you need something for every day that's just really 
you know, lightweight, doesn't feel like you're wearing sunscreen, I would definitely say give it a try because uh, it absorbs easily. It doesn't leave you, like I said, looking shiny afterwards and doesn't make you break out. So I'm a big fan of it. Very nice. Okay. Simon, what do you got for us? I got a special pick for you. The Lego. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there it goes. If you're just listening, this is now the point where you definitely need to go to YouTube and check out this episode. <laughs> and you're going to see yeah, an yeah, epic bell rock uh, made with Lego bricks. And by the way, this is just the first half of that. Um, so there's a whole package where you can actually build a bell rock and Gandalf. Uh, oh. <laughs> so everyone, uh, do we get into problems? Because now we got Lego as well. Uh, no, no, Lego no, 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 no. Lego likes this. Yeah, Lego we likes like this Lego. sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lego, you should Lego, sponsor yeah, this. Yeah. Um, there he <laughs> is. Exactly. There you go. I'll take a Lego sponsorship so, anytime. For for anyone uh, who likes Lego, and you can also do this pretty nicely with children. So my four year old daughter is really helpful oh. in building these little things uh, with me. So highly recommend yeah. it for everyone. Yeah, four years four years old is well past the ingestion phase. So you know they're not gonna eat. The yeah, 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 yeah. Applause. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm going to wrap up our picks by actually layering on top of what, what Paige talked about, being a ginger myself. So it's interesting. We have two gingers on the podcast. Two things to point out. One, gingers have souls. Just FYI, <laughs> just putting that out there. Just want everybody to know. And then two, uh, if you are fair-skinned, um, polarized sunglasses because the inside of your eyeballs are the same stuff as your outside. So you want to make sure that you're protecting your eyes and you can really get you know, so just get good polarized sunglasses. Definitely worth the extra money you're going to spend on that. Put it to your eyes. Good suggestion. There you go. All right. Well, this has been really fun. And I uh, hope to see you all on the next React Roundup. Thank you, Simon. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Okay. See you next week. See you Bye, later. everybody.